Welcome to the Covenant Women Podcast with Dr. Adonica Howard-Brown, your on-demand source for Holy Ghost-filled preaching and teaching. You bring blessing everywhere you go. You bring freedom. You bring liberty. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Be refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened as you hear the Word today. kind of just talking about um, being open and willing for the Lord to uh, do a work in our life, to deal with our flesh, because that your flesh is always going to want to hang on to, you know, your past life, the things of the past, you, you know, what your flesh is used to, what it's had before, it's going to want again, and so we have to crucify the flesh, we've got to die to the flesh, that's why we need the fire of God, the fire of God comes to purge to burn out those desires, to burn out everything that's not of God. And so our prayer should be, God, let your fire burn through us. Let everything that's of the world, everything that's of the devil, everything that's, of, 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 that's not acceptable to you, Lord, burn it out of my life. And then we need to be prepared for that burning to take place. Because you know what? It's not always just fun, fun, fun. Uh, thank God for the joy. Thank God for the joy. And at the end of the day, there's a reward. The Bible talks about discipline and how it's grievous and it's not pleasant for the moment. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Discipline at the time, any kind of discipline, whether you're getting rebuked, whether you're getting a spanking, whatever it is, it's not pleasant at the moment. But if we, if we are too weak to accept discipline and receive it and we push it away, and we don't want to deal with it at the time, that thing's going to just always be an issue in our life and always harass us. But if we prepare to let the fire of God deal with it, as painful as it is to face that thing, as hard as it is to deal with the thing at the time, afterwards, the Bible says, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline only works if you receive it. It doesn't work if you don't receive it. And you know, over and over, the Bible talks about wise people are people who are willing to be instructed. So you need an element of wisdom to start out with to become more wise. And it's just a wisdom choice. It's a wisdom choice that you make to be teachable. People who are unteachable and think they know everything and are too arrogant to receive correction and direction and instruction, those people, the Bible says, are fools. Someone who will not receive any input into their life, any direction or instruction is foolish. So you're stupid if you won't listen. But if you prepare to listen and hear and obey, you are wise. It's the beginning of wisdom to open your heart to direction and instruction and discipline. So God is going to bring correction. He is going to bring discipline to us. Why? To save us from later having to stand before him and feeling like a big nana because we're a big mess and a failure, and we never did anything that God had planned for us. Because God's got incredible, awesome plans for us. Amen. 
But if we won't receive his word, if we won't receive direction from the Holy Spirit, if we're going to be arrogant and obstinate, then we're, we're going to not get everything that he has for us. We're not, going to, we're not going to be everything that he's ordained for us to be. We're going to be a big fat failure, and we're going to have to stand before God ashamed, hanging our head. So it's better now to receive the direction, the discipline, the correction, uh, receive it into our heart, no matter how painful or embarrassing or whatever it is at the time. You know what? It, it's not embarrassing if you have a humble heart. It's only, you know, it, you know, you know why people feel embarrassed? It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's about our pride. Your pride makes you feel embarrassed. If you have none, you're not going to be embarrassed. Because something that would, you know, that would be nothing to one person is like a huge ordeal to someone else. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen. And it, it all has to do with the heart of that person. It's their, it's their pride and their dignity at stake. And God hates pride. Amen. The church will not be judged with the world. Okay? The world's already judged. The devil's already judged. Before you receive Jesus, I've got news for you. You were already judged. You didn't have to wait to die and stand in front of the courts of heaven. You, did, you didn't go to the door and then, you know, meet Peter and then he decided whether or not he was going to let you in or some angel or whatever. It doesn't work like that. If you, did, if you do not accept Jesus, you're judged already. You're judged when you die, all that will happen is the sentence will be carried out. Just like the courts here in America, they find you guilty. Then you come back for the sentencing, and they take you and they put you in jail. But you're already guilty. They, it's just the judgment has to be decided and carried out. So you, you, before you accepted Jesus, you were already deemed guilty. What Jesus did was he came and he went to jail for you. Whatever your sentence was, he paid it. He died. He went down into hell. He kicked the devil's teeth in, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He, he preached to the spirits in prison. He rose back up again, and he said, here, this is available to you. The Bible says we were with him. We were in him. We were nailed to the cross when he was nailed to the cross, as far as God was concerned. And it's activated when we bow our knee and we say, Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord of my life. Jesus, take over my life. Come into my heart. That's when you're, it's activated. At that point, you are acquitted. Do you know what acquitted means? Same as in America. You can never be tried again on that same thing. And so when we're washed in the blood of Jesus, that judgment that, was, that had already been applied was removed. Judgment was removed from us. We are no longer to be judged with the world. However, we will still give an account now, if you've committed sin and you sincerely ask God to forgive you and you've repented, that's forgiven. But there are some things that you're still going to have to be accountable for. What about the parable of the talents? If God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and because of sin and disobedience, you never do it, you never carry it out, you can ask God to forgive you you know, for the sin and the stuff you've done. But you're still going to have to give an account of why you did not fulfill that call. Amen. They, they are, they, what you have to understand also, the, 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 the sneaky, disgusting, horrible thing about sin is there are some seeds that you sow that can never, there are things that are set in motion by choices that you make that can never be changed. 
Amen. If you sleep around before you're married with somebody and you get pregnant, because that's what happens when you do that, you're going to bring forth something. You can't kill it. People do, but the blood of that baby's on their hands from that moment on. It's still, there's, there's a, and, and they, 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 get, they reap the harvest of that bitterness. So there's, there's, there's many things I could say right now, but there's choices that we make, and maybe some of you could think of some things that were set in motion, some choices, some stuff that was done. You can't change. If you rush into marrying someone and you didn't pray about it, or, or maybe you were unsaved or whatever, you just didn't make a good decision, and you go marry the wrong person, and then you end up in a big mess and a divorce, you know, that's, you can't change those things. It's your history. There's, there's some things that are out there. Now, God can redeem. God can, you know, take the pain away. God can forgive. God can restore. But there's things that are set in motion. There's things that are done that cannot ever be changed. Amen. So there are some things that, that we'll have to give an account for and, and have to talk to the Lord about. And the majority of those will, are, are heart attitude. But that we are going to have to give an account. If we don't fulfill the, the plan and the purpose, the call that God has on our life, we're going to have to give an account for it. Now, God is not a hard taskmaster. He does not drive us. He, he, you know, let me say this. It is a sacrifice. Let me tell you, when, when, when to obey the call of God, to do what He's called you to do, it's a sacrifice. You have to make a sacrifice. You have to die to what you want. You have to die to your selfishness. You, you have to desire, you, you know, you have to die to everything that you want because you come into a place where you become a servant. You, you choose to be a servant. But you know the reward of obedience is so much greater than the torment of disobedience. I mean, ask Jonah. It, would, it was better to go to Nineveh and preach than to be in the belly of the whale. Amen. So you can live in the belly of the whale or you can, you can have the joy of seeing lives touched and, and building up fruit in heaven. And you know what? There's persecution that comes with serving God. There's, there's all kinds of attacks and all kinds of things that come against you. But my Bible says God is more than enough. And the joy and the peace and the blessing and the fulfillment when you obey God, the blessing on your children, the blessing on your family, amen. And you know, a lot of people in ministry have lost their family and lost their kids, but God does not expect us to sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry. Your first ministry is your family. Your first ministry is your family. Your first, first your wife, then your children. Let, let me just back up a little. The first relationship in, and the first and most important relationship in your life is God. God, now notice I'm not saying ministry. Not ministry. The first priority in your life is not ministry. And there are major ministers that stand up and will say that. But you know what? It's evidenced in the mess their wife's in and their kids are in. That their priorities are screwed up. Your first priority is to God. Your personal relationship to God. You know, Billy Graham always had a Bible that he kept, a different Bible, not a study Bible, that was his personal Bible that he would read that was God's word to him. He would, he would read it 
to receive something for himself personally. Then he had a study Bible that he would use and study to, to develop sermons, to minister to others. And you know, what do you, what do you want to, you, you don't want to trash your own life while you're ministering to others. All you go to the word, all you're ever getting from the Bible is something to talk to someone else about. And you never go to the Bible to receive that, something for yourself. So we need to make sure that we go to God and we receive something for us. You can be a little selfish if that's selfish in that. Take care of yourself first. Take care of yourself and your heart with the Lord. Then start finding out what God wants you to, to tell everybody else. So your, your relationship with God first. Then your spouse. It's very important that you choose wisely, that you really pray about the decision if you haven't made it already, and that you marry the right person, that you marry a person that's going to truly be your partner. You've got to marry someone who has the same call and destiny as you. You have to marry someone that loves God as much as you do and sees themselves doing what you feel yourself called to do, or at least complementing, at least the two of you, you know, in agreement, joining together, because you don't want to be competing you're not there to compete, you're there to complete. You're a man, you're a woman, you have different roles, different functions. You have different roles merely because you're a man and a woman. You have different roles because God is, because you're individual, you're unique. God has put something on each of your life. God's put gifts in you. And he's, whatever he's called you to do, the gifts are already in you for what he's called you to do. He made you like you are for what he's called you to do. So, you know, that's why strong-willed children not a bad thing, good thing. We just need to guide them, help them make right choices, help them to know that they need to love God, serve Him, and honor Him. And they'll be awesome in God's kingdom because they're determined and they're strong-willed, but they just need to be directed in the right direction. You don't want them being strong-willed for the devil. You want them being you know, determined and strong-willed for, for the Lord. So as a couple, God's going to call you. You're going to be complementary. Your, your ministries will complement each other. Marry someone who loves who you are in Jesus. Marry someone who loves how much you love Jesus. Marry someone who sees who you are and sees who God's called you to be and loves that and encourages that. Not somebody that discourages you and is always trying to squish you down and, and, and you know, talk ugly to you and tell you you're no good and sit down and shut up. I'm the minister here. You just, you know, you sit by and whatever. No, you know, that's not the way. It's not women submit, shut your mouth. I'm the king of the heap. No, God says husbands love your wives. No man ever hated his own body. So you've got to love your wife like your own body. You've got to nourish her, treasure her, meet her needs emotionally, sit and take time with her, get to know her, know why. If she's upset, get to know why. You know, you're there. God made men strong and focused to help us girls because sometimes we're all over the place and we're just like that because our gift is multitasking. But sometimes we, we get too, there's just too much going on. So our guys help us keep us focused and the girls help the guys see another perspective, you know, and we encourage one another and we, we provoke one another in the Lord and we're there to be kind and gracious to one another. You, listen, guys, if you take care of your wife and you honestly care about how she feels, and, and, you, and she knows that you care about how she feels. She'll follow you anywhere. So these guys that say, well, you know, I'm not married anymore because, because the anointing was too strong on my life and my wife couldn't deal with it. It's like, you're an idiot. That's just an excuse for, I don't know how to be a real man and take care of my woman. Amen. <laughs> Getting some reactions all over here. <laughs> So I should probably have Pastor Rodney come in and address that one. So we have a responsibility. Husbands have a responsibility. Wives, you have a responsibility. And you have a responsibility to keep your heart right with God. 
to not be the one always pulling away, pulling in the wrong direction, always trying to you know, go the way of the world and the way of the flesh. We have both have a responsibility together to honor the Lord in our life. And you know what? If you put God first in your life, you will honor your partner and you will not do anything to them to hurt them or dishonor them because you care too much about your relationship with God. Amen. Amen. You know what? You see when people, when men are in adultery and, and they're, they're treating their wives badly, they've lost the fear of God. We need to have a fear of God in our life so much so that we, we do what's right, that we are humble enough to do what's right. And you know what? God will always bless you if you do what's right. You can't control what somebody else does. You can't. You can't. Even if you're married to them, even if they're your kids, you, you can't live their life for them. But you can do the right thing, and God will always bless you if you, do, if you choose to do the right thing. And don't make someone else your excuse for for not doing the right thing. And then you need to take care of your kids. You need to, you need to make sure. I mean, we, I, made a, I decided when we got married, I decided I, my husband is a traveling minister. I will travel with him. I will be with him. We are going to stay together as a family. We are going to have children, and they are going to travel with us, and they're going to fit into what we're doing no matter what. Now, that was hard because... You know, especially when a baby's first born till they're at least two years old, it's like your whole life revolves around that little baby. It's like whatever they want, whatever they need. If they're awake, you're awake. If they want to be fed, they're getting fed. If they got something in their diaper, you got to clean it. So, you know, there's a sacrifice that you have to make. And, and we, our choice, there's a lot of people that have a traveling ministry that choose not to have children because of the traveling and all that, but we didn't want to lose out on family. And we, we felt in our heart to start early when the ministry was still getting going because I felt like when it gets busier and I'm needed more, I need my kids to be a little older and more independent. So we, we pretty much, we were married 14 months and we had our first child two years later, the next one, two and a half years later, the third one. And um, we decided we're taking them on the road and we did and it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but you know, you just do what you got to do. And the main thing is you've got to make up your mind. You've got to decide. And our first choice was stay together as a family. My husband needed me there. I needed him. My kids needed their dad. And so many people open up themselves to sin when they, when they separate. Don't ever separate from your spouse. The longest we were ever apart was eight weeks when I was back in South Africa and he was here in 1990. And we vowed never to do that again. It was too long. So we've never gone longer than a week or so apart after that or max two weeks because we want to stay together, be together, not be off, you know, mean one direction, him in the other direction because that, that's bound to, to fail. When you start living your own lives, you know, and, and the devil's always there to mess things up, let me tell you. So you have to protect your marriage. You have to protect your relationship. You've got to protect your kids. We, I prayed over my kids. I said, Lord, we're, we're taking them all around the world. And Lord, I, I need for your grace to be on my kids. I need you. Whatever they're missing out on, you're going to make it up. If they, whatever they've missed in music lessons and ballet lessons and sport and whatever else that they could have had if we were in one place, Lord, you, you're going to have to make it up to them. And you know... Um, Thank God they all serve God. Thank God they, all, they love the Lord. Because there's a lot of PKs who just are so bent out of shape and bitter and so, wow, they talk about a backslidden Christian. They're worse than a backslidden Christian, PKs. I mean, they go crazy. And we've tried to help some, and we have helped some, and then there's some that you know, you're like, you know, I don't know. Because 
the parents didn't make sure that their family was their first priority. So you can minister to the whole world, but you've got to make sure your, your family are taken care of. So if we saw little attitudes in our kids, we would deal with it immediately. We would sit, we would talk about it. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's discuss this. When they complained on the road, when they were teenagers, we want friends. And we, we always traveling and we don't have a best friend. We didn't say, shut up and suck it up. Well, this is what we're called to do and you're just going to have to sacrifice. We never said that to them. You know what we said? We said, I'm sorry, baby. I know it's hard when you, you know, it's just the three of you and you homeschool me dragging you around the world. We didn't quite say that, but we said, you know what? You know, if you want to talk to your friends, I'll get them on the phone for you. You know, when we go home, we'll, you know, make sure you get together. We'll fly them in and you can spend some time or something, you know. And we said, you know, but, but think of all the good stuff also that you have right now. Just think about how you get to travel around the world and go to all these amazing countries and you're seeing the most amazing things that God's doing and you're getting to meet all these people that, that, you know, all these amazing men and women of God and all these opportunities that you have. So, you know, we, we didn't get to go anywhere when we were growing up. So, you know, you're really, you're really blessed. And, you know, I waited up and I thought, I looked at all these little kids in Africa that don't have shoes and have one outfit and some of them don't even have a mommy and a daddy. Not even sure that they're going to get food that day. I mean, a lot of, most of the world, most of the kids of the world live like that. No education, not even any food. And I thought, you know what? My kids are spoiled. They're blessed. They get to travel. They get to stay in hotels. Everywhere we go, everybody, you know, give them stuff and make a fuss of them and, you know, bless them. I thought, they're going to be fine. They're going to be okay. You know, suck it up and get over it. What, I mean, you know, and we have this, this entitlement generation. We've got to spoil our kids and give them everything we didn't have. And you know what? They just turn out just rotten little brats. Even if you are blessed, don't give your kids everything. Make them work for stuff. Make them appreciate what they have. You know what, you see kids here walking around, it's never enough, and they're never satisfied, and no matter what they have, they always want something else, and my, my friend's got this, and I want this. And you look at the little kids in Africa, they've got nothing. They play with sticks and wire and stones and make, make stuff. They're very creative. They make stuff out of stuff. They make their own toys. And they're always smiling, and they're happy. You know what? Because they're not thinking about what they don't have or what they should have. They're, th they're happy for what they do have. So in America, we need to get an attitude adjustment. We need to be happy for what we do have. We need to count our blessings. We need to appreciate what we have. Amen. We need to have an, a, a consistent, constant, everyday attitude of gratefulness. Wake up every morning and say, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that I have a fresh new day. Thank you that every morning I have a fresh new start. Thank you that your blessings are here for me every day. Thank you, Lord, that if I had nothing else, I'm so grateful that when my life on earth ends, my, the life on the inside of me doesn't that I just step on over into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for heaven. We can, no matter what tough thing you're going, that's going on here, we can praise him that we're going to go to heaven. 
that we have that promise that we're not going to be separated from our loved ones. We're going to see them. Death has no sting. It has no victory. God is good. Amen. Amen. And it's not a pain to serve him. And it's, you're not missing out on anything. You know what you're missing out on? I tell you what you're missing out on. Heartbreak. Pain. Loss. Venereal disease. Sickness. Death. You're missing out on on being miserable. You're missing out on being, being so drunk you don't know what you did last night. You're missing out on, on looking like you got dragged behind a train because you drink and you smoke and you do everything you're not supposed to do. Wow, you're missing a lot. I never understood that. How, how you can taste the good things of God and go back to the pigsty, slop, pig trough of the world. It's a joy to serve him. If, you're not, if, if it's not a joy to serve him, you ain't doing it right. Amen. Because in him there's peace and freedom. And you press into his word and you press into his Holy Ghost till you get that. If you don't have it now, you press into him till you get it. Because the more you press into him, the more you conform to him, the more you submit to him, the more you let the fire of God burn in you, the more you give up what you want and take on what he has for you, the more life and freedom and joy comes to your life. Amen. How many of you can already testify about that? Aren't you happy? You're not where, I mean, you think where you could have been without Jesus. Oh, I don't even want to think about where I'd be. I'm so glad he found me. I'm so glad he got a hold of me. Oh, hallelujah. You would, woo! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He is so good. Hallelujah. So we're going to give an account to God for what he's called us to do. We need to be able to say, Lord, I did it to the best of my ability. And God understands. He understands. The Bible says he understands that man is like, like grass of the field, that we're weak. He understands that. He understands we're frail. And that's why he deals with us very gently. That's why he's, he's so kind. And he understands the challenges that we face and the hard things we go through. He understands that sometimes we, we fail. We give up. We, we miss it. We, we, the pressure's too much. He understands. But he also expects us to trust him and to know that he is our rock. He's our fortress. That he'll carry us through. That he'll never let us down. Romans 2 and verse 6 says, For he will render to every man according to his works, justly as his deeds deserve. So our works will be judged. Thank God we will not be cast into hell with the world. We will, we will have our place in the kingdom of God. But 
We don't want to get there. Excuse me. We don't want to just get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. We want to have something to show for our life on the earth that we did something for him. Matthew 16, verse 26 and 27. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life, his blessed life in the kingdom of God? Or what would a man give as an exchange for his blessed life in the kingdom of God? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory, majesty, and splendor of his Father with his angels, and then he will render account and reward every man in accordance for what he has done. There is a reward for works. We cannot earn salvation. It's a free gift. We receive it by, by humbly accepting that free gift. But there is a reward for what we do, the good that we do in obedience to the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Therefore, whether we are at home on earth, away from him, or away from home and with him, we are constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to him. So whether I'm in the body, out the body, if I'm in heaven or on earth, I'm striving constantly to be pleasing to him. But you need to maybe make a note somewhere of that and meditate on that and spend this week just, just focusing on I'm striving to be pleasing to him. That is my goal in this life. I'm striving to please him. And God is not a hard taskmaster, and he doesn't drive us. If you feel driven, it's not God. God is, he is our good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. He leads us. But the devil will drive. If you feel driven, just stop. Just stop. Because God does not drive. He rather, he draws, he leads so, you know, there's a lot of um, ministers, that's why they neglect their family, they neglect their own health, because they're so driven. And listen, let me tell you right now, the need is great. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When, when you're out there and you're soul winning and you really get souls in your heart and, and you have, you have a, a heart for the world, you want to help everybody. You want to save everybody, but you have to, you have to step back and go, okay. I see the need, I see I could go in this direction, and I could go in that direction, I could go there, and I could do this. What does God want me to do? Amen. Amen. I kind of think of it like a, like a huge chess game, and God is, he's got control, he's got the whole plan, he knows, he knows how to win, he knows how to get checkmate, he knows how to, he knows where it's going to end up. I mean, it, it, Jesus is coming, the devil ain't going to win, the devil has a temporary lease here. Only because of the people, because God loves people, not because he loved the devil. He would just squash everybody like a bug if he could. But aren't you glad he didn't squash everybody like a bug before you got saved? Okay, so, so God's wanting everyone to have that chance to hear the gospel. So he, he's not going to squash the devil and everybody who works for the devil yet because he loves the people. So, so there's coming a time. So God knows the end from the beginning. He knows how it's going to go. Our job is to just do what he tells us to do. You're not going to be rewarded for doing what someone else is doing or something that you thought was a good idea. 
you're going to be rewarded for doing what God tells you to do. Now, that doesn't mean that you sit on your bum and you do nothing because you're waiting for God to tell you where to go. Listen, you can get out in the streets and lead people to the Lord. You can get up and do something. See, it's easier to direct something that's already in motion. I mean, how many of you drive a car? How many of you know it's much easier to turn that steering wheel when the thing's moving than when it's just sitting there? So you need to be like, whatever's in front of you, do. You don't have to ask God, do I need to be involved in ministry of helps? Do I need to offer to clean the, the toilet? Do I need to, like, you know, help usher? Do I need to help in the altar call? Do I, you don't have to ask. Just, just whatever you find to do, do it. Because God's looking for busy people. Do you know that Jesus didn't find anybody who was sitting on their bottom doing nothing? Everybody that Jesus said, come follow me, was already doing something else. They were either tax collectors or they were fishing or they were doing something. So do something. Get busy doing something. I mean, if it's not going to be ministry, get a regular job and minister on the side till, till so much ministry is open up to you and your needs are taken care of. You don't need to work this job anymore. But do something. If you don't work, you don't eat. So living by faith is not sitting at home on your bottom watching TV waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell you to do something. We'll slap you if you tell us that. Amen. And then you look at, you know, we had the precious brother and his wife from Canada, and they're talking about how they went to Russia 46 hours in a tank with no heating on rough roads. Those things don't have, you know, nice cushy seats. They don't have, um, what do you call that, shock absorbers. So you're sitting in a hard, cold, rough tank. I mean, must have, they must have had bruises on their bottoms or something. You're 46 hours in the cold. I mean, you're not, you're not taking a nice hot shower. You're not getting yummy food. You're just eating whatever. And you come to this village that nobody's ever been to of roaming because they, 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 they wander with the... They live in tents in that freezing cold in Siberia. And they live in tents and they, they move with a reindeer. That's their living, that's their, their source of, of food through their long, 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 long winters. And uh, they get there, and the guy said, we've been expecting you. And he's like, how is that possible? You don't have a cell phone. You know, we didn't even tell you we were coming. You didn't know. No, but we've been going out. You know, we lived under communist rule. They told us there is no God. But we realized there has to be a God. Why? Because they looked at the stars, and they looked at creation, and they said, there's got to be somebody. And they would go out at night and cry out to God whoever he is, and said, if you're real, show yourself to us. Send somebody. They said, we've been expecting you. And they brought them the God. I wept when I heard that. So, I mean, as my husband says, if somebody tells me they've got nowhere to preach, I'll slap them. Because the American way is, is, you know, call a pastor and ask for a meeting. You don't need to go to someone else's church to have a meeting to get somebody touched. You know what? When we were first married, we just, we just went and um, you know, we went on a honeymoon. Our honeymoon was preaching. We just booked a meeting and, and went preaching on our honeymoon. I think we had two days by ourselves, and then we were with a bunch of people preaching. But we didn't worry about it. We were going in the ministry. We're going to serve God. We're going we're gonna to go for God. So we weren't even thinking about ourselves. It's like, we just want to do, we just couldn't wait to get out there and do what God called us to do. And God gave us a honeymoon, you know, a couple of Weeks later, we, we, we got back up to Johannesburg, and this man said, I'll book you a meeting, this guy down in, um, I think it was Scottsboro. And uh, so we went down there, and we, get, we didn't know this guy. And um, we get there, and he said, um, I'm going to America. You're not preaching in my church, but there's an apartment on the, on the ocean that you can stay in. And um, that's it, and he left. We were like, 
but we didn't come down here to have a vacation. It was nice. We had we did. It was more of a honeymoon than anything for a few days. So we, we got our little little bit of a time together and honeymoon. But we thought we got to do something. So we went down and asked about the little town hall. And of course, they have a, a poverty mentality, which is fine. Anyway, so they charge us ten bucks a night for the town hall. So we rented it for four nights, and we made our own little little kind of mini poster things. We had them printed, and we left like the the venue and the time and stuff blank, but we just put our names on there. And um, so we, we just hand wrote the stuff in. We paid to put it in everybody's mailbox. And we had 12 people the first night. That was pretty cool. Nobody knew who we were. Nobody ever heard of us. And they came. And it grew to 40 people. That's not bad. I mean, it didn't shrink. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, that was, it was just he and I and the guitar. But we had to do something, and then we ended up in a, in a venue, you know, we met some people, we ended up in another little venue a little bit down the coast, and we had a one-night meeting there, and we had a few hundred people in that thing. And, and we just, you know, if, if, if nothing opened up, we, we made something. We went and did something. We, we, we kept busy. And because we kept busy, and we, we worked, and we, my husband's dream was to preach every single day of his life. He just wanted, and so we started a, a little church. We got to this little town, and all they had was this little fellowship, and they had no pastor, and the Lord told us to start a church, so we started a church for them. We, built, we bought a building. We renovated the building, and um, they, were, they had a, a you know, farm mentality. They put their kid in boarding school, seven-year-old kid in boarding school, because they didn't want to drive 10 minutes you know, in the morning, you know, there and 10 minutes back. And then in the afternoon, 10 minutes there and 10 minutes back to pick him up from school because all they did was sit and do farm work and they weren't used to driving. So on Sundays, only the very local area would come to church. So we'd have anywhere from 35, 40, 50 people to 100 people. You know, if we had food, we had over 100 people. But mostly just the people from the, the area right around there would come to the church. So we went to them. We thought, if they're not going to come to us, we'll go to them. So on Monday night, we were in Stainsburg. And Tuesday night, we were in Tarkestad. On Wednesday night, we were in Stackstrom, I think. It was a Thursday in Stackstrom. And then, uh, if, like, well, at least once a month, we, we drove an hour and a half away to a big meeting over there, to a whole bunch of people over there. We, we kept ourselves busy. We preached every single day. We just, we put gas in the car. We drove an hour sometimes, an hour and a half, 20 minutes, some of them 30 minutes. But every single night, we were somewhere preaching and ministering to those people because they didn't have, they lived in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have a, a place to go. But we, we made, we, we, we gave our heart and soul into that thing. We put everything we could. We didn't hold anything back. God wants us to give everything. Jesus didn't hold anything back. He gave, he gave everything, just everything that's in you. I mean, there were times that I felt like I didn't know much. I was, you know, a young Christian, young in the ministry, and I felt like I didn't have a lot to say. I didn't have a lot to give. And the Lord just said to me, just give what you have. He said, they don't, they don't, they haven't, they don't have even what you have. So just give what you have. We, we had a family there, and... Uh, they were um, precious people. They would give you the shirt off their back. And they had a farm with a bunch of animals on it. Um, and they had American hunters that would come in and hunt. And then they also had some fa fancy, fancy horses, that quarter horses that they, would, that they bred 
One of them was very famous from Kentucky and the, the, the daddy of all, the, of all their um, horses. And they had all these horses and they, were, they, they had dogs. I mean, they had huge dogs. They had cats and they had this huge living room. And we would come there to have meetings and there'd be like 14 dogs and, and, and 13 cats. And there was a monkey tied up with a rope at the front door because he would bite. So you'd like walk past the front door and the monkey goes, wah, and you're like, wah. <laughs> And, um, and it was animals everywhere, and, and, um, what, but just precious people. And when we first went there, they, they were all, they'd all smoke, you know, and they were, they were kind of rough, and, uh, and they, they were still drinking and stuff, and we were there having this meeting, and the auntie, she's there, and she's got a glass of whatever it was, I don't know, and a cheroot, which is like a cross between a cigarette and a, and a cigar, I mean, she's a woman, she's smoking this thing, and she's there, and she's giving a prophecy with this thing in her hand, and the Lord said to us, do not condemn them, just love them and preach the word, because they had good hearts. They didn't know any better, they just, you know, they came out the world, that's what they did, but they had a good heart, and so we just loved them, we never said anything to them about it, we just preached the word, and you know what? When we left there after two years, they were holding their own Bible studies. They'd all stopped smoking. They'd stopped drinking. I mean, God just, they, they, they started, you know, the Holy Spirit just did such a work in their life. And they were, such, they were always a blessing to us, always. They never gave us one ounce of trouble. But we had some other people in our church that were just super spiritual intercessors. I mean, when someone comes and tells me, I'm an intercessor, I have the ministry of intercessors, I want to go, ah, and run. Because most of them are so fruity, flaky, arrogant, prideful, like everything in the world is right because they pray. Give me a break. (laughs) We're all called to pray, but it's all on Him. We're nothing. He's everything. And someone who's a true prayer warrior doesn't have to advertise. People will see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. They'll see the peace and the joy on them. They'll know who to come to when they need prayer. They'll, they'll see your prayers get answered. Somebody who's, who's a person who prays is not someone who's oppressed. If you're oppressed, you're, not doing, you're doing something wrong. We should pray till we have joy. Pray till we have the peace. Pray till we have the victory. Because we always have victory in Him. But if you oppress, I've I got to wonder about your own walk with God. Or if you're prideful or arrogant, I've got to wonder how much time you actually spend in His presence. So let's just shut up. Who cares? I mean, that's why when people say to us, what are you? Are you a pastor or an evangelist or an apostle? Everybody tries, a prophet, you know, everybody tries to put labels on you. And, and we just say, well, we're just, we're just ushers. We just usher in... You know, we just make the Holy Spirit welcome and usher him in so that he can touch people's lives. Why? Because a title doesn't make you. It's about, it's about being a vessel God can use. And if you're an arrogant vessel, you're just always going to be that little yucky clay pot thing that God can't do anything with. But if we want to be a vessel unto honor, we've got to yield to him and let him do the work and always, always give him the honor and the glory. Sincerely.